0: Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmaker's Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me on this episode is documentary filmmaker Arthur Musa. Arthur is the director of Brief Tender Light, which will be shown on PBS as part of the POV series on January 15th. Check your local listings for times. Brief Tender Light follows the lives of five African-born MIT students, including Arthur himself, who were driven to study in the U.S. and create change at home. Even as their dreams are anchored in the societies they left, their daily realities are defined by America. Each must refine their ideas about the world and about themselves, and ultimately, how to transform youthful ideals into action as adults. Here's the film's trailer. I just got admitted into the best engineering institution in the whole world.
1: When I got the letter, I would never forget it.
0: Those three letters, MIT, they
1: mean a lot to people. People expect things from you. I think MIT will take me to the next big thing. 20 years ago, I too had been chosen from Ghana and West Africa to study the famous MIT. What are you going to gain from MIT? What are you planning on bringing back? What are the mass skills, a mass knowledge? Yes, yes,
0: yes. Yeah! Yes,
1: I yes. see no reason why I shouldn't, you know, live up to the expectation of my people back home. When they look at me, what do they think I look like? And then they said I look African-American. I want to represent my country. I can't keep on wearing Tanzania shirts all the time. You're discovering who you are, if you don't know yourself already. Why are you working on the film? MIT taught me things about the world and about myself that led me far from home. I don't really know how it happens, but you just notice certain changes about yourself. My first snow experience. No! (laughs) I have really high expectations of my experience here. I'm not good in physics. Then how am I going to be an engineer? Maybe this is not the right place for me. One thing I've been struggling with: am I ever going to feel at home in the U.S.? Time is a tool. It gently molds you to a place. If I see people speaking up, I will go and speak up. Justice
0: Justice. now. You have a responsibility to help your country. The fear of what
1: awaits me in the world. I don't know what's ahead of me. This drive of wanting to help or wanting to impact other people's lives is something that's been there for me since I was very young. We have to pave our own way and I am scared of my dreams because they're bigger than me and they're vast.
0: Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please do follow and share. Now, on to my conversation with Arthur Musa. Hello, Arthur Musa. Welcome to Making Media Now. Thank you. Thank you so
1: much, Michael. It's great to be here.
0: So, we're here to discuss your documentary, Brief Tender Light which I had the pleasure of seeing at the Newburyport Documentary Film Festival last fall. And at the Newburyport Documentary Film Festival in Newburyport, Massachusetts, you came away from that festival with an award, the Best First-Time Filmmaker Jury Award. And since that festival that took place in September, I think, or maybe it was Uh October, um, your film has been at numerous festivals, and you've been coming away with lots of awards in the fe- on the festival circuit, so congratulations on that. And the Thank film you. is going to be available for a national audience via PBS. I know it's going to be doing a theatrical run in New York, but PBS will be presenting the film on their POV series on January the 15th. So this has just been a roller
1: coaster since the fall. <laughs> It has. It has. Um, Thank you. Uh, Yes, you saw the film at our world premiere. It was a beautiful event. uh, The Newburyport um, Documentary Film Festival was a wonderful place to premiere the film. You know, it was close enough to Boston. Some of the people that have supported the film over many years um, of production and post production were able to come out. And then we had new audiences as well. So it was just a beautiful event. And like you said, it's been um, really great audience reception on the sort of three-month festival circuit that we've been on um it's been very gratifying to have a lot of great conversations with people um hear their reactions um and the things the film made them feel and think about and, and maybe reflect within their own lives so yeah it's been great and we're excited that even more people get to see it um with the you know the theatrical releases in New York and DC, and then obviously the the nationwide um, PBS broadcast as well. Mm-hmm. Really excited. And brief
0: tender light documents the stories of four African students at MIT who are determined to bring positive change to the uh, to the various uh, countries that they are from. You are particularly well suited to tell the story of a person uh, of African origins who attends MIT
1: because... (laughs) Well, because um, I lived through that experience as well. I came to the US over 20 years ago from my country Ghana in West Africa to study at MIT. I was 19 years old. Um, August 19th was the day 2000. I remember the flight. There was actually lots of other students on the same flight. It was a Ghana Airways flight. Lots of other students, some whom I knew uh were you know it was the beginning of the academic year, and so a lot of people had gotten into colleges all over the u s so it was a very fun, kind of exciting plane ride and uh had you been I, to the u s prior to that? I had been once before, yes, I represented the uh, ghana in uh in a convenience of uh, unesco um mm-hmm. Uh, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. When they turned 50, they had um, people in clubs, um, in their clubs all around the world, kids, students in clubs all around the world kind of come out and meet each other and do a bunch of cool things um, in New York. So yeah, that was my first trip to the U.S. And when I came back here for college, that was my second so, and, yeah, I had lived through that experience, and it inspired the film. And you have to be
0: significantly high-achieving academically to be accepted to to MIT, um, and as are the the four students that, that you profile. I'm wondering uh, your experience as an undergraduate at, at MIT. Did you feel uh, an increasing sort of burden of expectation, given that you were from Africa? Did you feel like in addition to representing your own ambitions, you are carrying perhaps the
1: ambitions of others? I would say yes. I think coming in, you're very aware that a school like MIT, and you know, it's not just MIT, lots of other schools in the US. The US has a lot of um, elite schools that um, are known around the world, obviously Harvard, Yale, um, and, and the likes, you know, the The Ivy Leagues, but then also, you know, the ones that are outside of the Ivy Leagues, you know, I think everybody is aware that it's it's um, it's a long shot to get into those. Um, It's very hard to get into those. And so when you get in, especially from far away from a foreign country you you feel like you have to make that journey count, not just for your own well-being for the, but for your community as well. And so sometimes that means your family, sometimes that means, you know, your town or, you know, whatever your local community is, or your country in some in in some cases. And I definitely felt that. I think sometimes it's spoken by your by members of your community, explicitly kind of go get the best knowledge in the world, travel the world, see things, learn from them, and then bring uh, knowledge and ideas back to and skills back uh, back home, mm-hmm. and um, and make home better, make make home, um, m- yeah, make home better, um, and I think MIT or places like MIT institutions reinforce that idea that. You live not just for yourself, but also for um, for your community. Wh- whatever you end up defining that as, and so there is a lot of pressure, kind of internally, um, from back home, but then also from your new adopted home, to really make a difference of some sort in the world. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of that pressure is kind of what we explore and breathe Light.
0: So give us a brief introduction uh, to the four individuals who you profile in the film. You know, perhaps their names, the country that they're from, uh, and we can go into further
1: detail about the, the the particulars of the individuals as we go on. Sure, happy to. Um, you know, so the four participants in the film, the four, four film stars are Sante Nyambo, who's from Tanzania. She's a young woman. Her, her dad is a... Um, She's a professor in Tanzania. And so she's a bit a little bit from a, I would say a middle class background in Tanzania. And um, she has a lot of ambitions to kind of you know live out this expectation of live for yourself, but also for your community. Um, there is Philip Abel Adama, who's from northern Nigeria, from Kano. Um, and his journey in the film is really to change the the story of his family, as he as he puts it, um, somewhere in the film. Um, we also have a young man from Zimbabwe, from the outskirts of Harare, which is the capital of Zimbabwe. His name is Fidelis Chimombe, and um, you know he's interested in kind of development work and um, yeah, I guess making a difference in his country. Um, mm-hmm because the country has been, I guess, in a struggle with democracy um, for, the, for the many years that he had been, away, yeah, yeah, ever since he was born. And then the fourth character or the fourth participant is Billy ngoma and um, he's from uh, Rwanda, from Kigali. And, uh, you know, his mission is, in the film has to do with nation building. Um, he's trying to figure out his role in his country, Rwanda's reconstruction post genocide.
0: You mentioned beginning your undergraduate studies at mit in the early 2000s and and i know that you worked in engineering uh, for texas instruments i believe for a while Uh, but you also make reference in the film around how some of the uh, the writing classes that you took as an engineering major allowed you to access parts of yourself, perhaps, that, that that you hadn't before. And I'm wondering, when you were going through that process as an undergrad, were you ever thinking to yourself, this experience that I'm having, I wonder if it would be useful in the future to sort of document this so that it would be uh, almost a tool for others to to appreciate uh, you know what it's like to be from a different country, in a
1: different place, et cetera. I would say not really. I never thought I would make a film, you know, when I was going through um, my undergraduate studies at MIT., uh, but I will say that I stayed on at MIT and and got a master's as well. It was sort of um a five year. Program where you you know once you get in you get to do your bachelor's and your master's right right uh, right away and so you end up taking some you can end up taking some graduate level courses with as an undergrad and I actually remember you know once I got uh, you know most of my requirements done and I had a little bit of free reign to. Uh, pick and choose, you know, electives that just interested me. You know, I mm-hmm. studied French, for example, at some point, and then I did um, a class in economics, actually. And in that class, you know, there were a lot of interesting things we we studied, but I remember writing a paper, um, a little bit of like a, a mini research paper and a I don't know if semester paper that was kind of about brain drain versus brain circulation um, and the trends of student immigration. You know, um, it was definitely a phenomenon that was happening all around the world. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, now that I think about it, given that you asked the question, I guess that interest in reflecting on my own journey and then, and must the journey of international students, particularly from Africa to the U.S. and to maybe some European countries as well. That has always been interesting to me because I felt, I guess I always felt like the story that I'd been given was a little simpler than the actual experience. You know, I'd been given this mission of kind of go get the knowledge and come back, um, which then the adopting country that where I was studying in was also reinforcing, but return was a lot more complicated than than that simple story. And mm-hmm. I was, I felt like that return, you know, even though individually we have agency within our own lives and we get to pick how we, we choose our lives, the decisions we individually make together... Um, have a large implication for either the African continent or individual countries like my country, Ghana. Um, and so those trends, those larger trends do have implications for both the U.S. and then um, both and Africa. And I guess that that also stems from the fact that my dad also went to study abroad. Um, but in the Soviet Union, you know, decades before I took that journey to the mm-hmm. US. And, you know, he and his cohort of uh African students uh who went to study abroad ended up coming back to the continent. And they were the doctors, they were the engineers that really, you know, kind of integrated and made a difference back home. But you know, the next generation is living a little bit more of a com- com- uh, uh, a little bit more of a life that's pants both you know one foot on 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 the African continent the other Mm -hmm. in the North American continent so anyway all of that like just made me really curious about looking at what was going on but it took many years later to kind of figure out that maybe a film was a good way to do that
0: yeah and, and in addition to that master's program at MIT that you mentioned I know that you also have a
1: MFA um, I did study in the MFA program. I never finished it. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, so I did two years of the MFA program. at. Well, you've University. got a documentary that's going to be playing on PBS. So I think you did finish it. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you giving me the MFA degree here? This is your honorary <laughs> oh my <God>. degree. <laughs> my honorary MFA. Thank you. Thank you so much. I accept. <laughs> I'm honored to accept. I'm,
0: yes. I'm curious... Um, and maybe there's no basis, in fact, for this for this inquiry. But does the does the engineer's brain bring any particular skill set to the sometimes mammoth task of producing
1: a years long documentary? Maybe it's a tough question. I think I, I wondered about that during the edit process because I mm-hmm. I was editing. You know, we had a long post production edit um, phase of the film, and we had multiple editing teams touch the film and eventually Kelly Creed was the was fi- the final editor that really put it all together but I was editing it for a couple of years and I thought the similarity between like programming uh software software engineering programming and editing was that you know you kind of have an amorphous Problem and like very complex. You you have uh, a lot of complexity, and you have to tame it and give it structure, Mm -hmm. right? And so that that approach of kind of high level defining what the problem was, and then you know um, finding a path, um, and then making a plan, and then tackling it in PC in in pieces seemed familiar and maybe analogous, Um, but actually in the MFA program, I would say I. I, some of my classmates, um, you know, were not in or most of my classmates were not engineers and some, you know, had done film and other arts disciplines in undergrad. And so it's really fascinating to for me to see how, um, you know, s- their approach sometimes is very different from mine because I kind of want to plan it all and kind of want to break it down and and have steps to follow. Um, and then sometimes, you know, other people approach it very differently, which is like less structure. And then there'd be incredible results at the end. That's, that's what i would say. On, I'll say on that.
0: <laughs> uh, were you a fan of the genre uh, when you were growing up, when you were a student
1: of the documentary film genre? I was not actually I discovered documentary in film school. Mm-hmm. I um, went into film school for the MFA program at USC wanting to make fiction films because I I had always written you know I'd always made up short stories and poems and things like that and so this seemed making you know writing screenplays and making up stories and and having actors act them out seemed like an extension of that and um it was in my second year of the mfa that one of my mentors uh, tom miller said you know if you want to become a director you should edit a documentary and so i was like oh Hmm. that's an interesting idea and so I, i did and i fell in love with documentary because i was just blown away by the fact that real people would open up to you and share so much about the experiences that shaped who they are their philosophy of life. And it was just really fascinating. It was just so compelling and I wanted to keep doing it. And so when I stepped out of film school after two years, I, I wanted to make a documentary also because it felt like with a documentary, you could raise funds slowly and kind Mm. of, you know, piecemeal it and, and, and as an indie unknown filmmaker, you could create a substantial film. Um, slowly, whereas with fiction, you had to kind of, you know write it all, raise all the money and then have this massive intense production period.
0: And um, And where and how did the idea for brief tender light
1: uh, come to you? In again, back at MIT, when I arrived in Boston in 2000, I was met at the airport by my host family. Okay. So MIT, the MIT International Students Office had this host family program. And I was paired up with Helen Samuels and Greg Anderson, who were working at MIT and had volunteered for this program. And so they'd become kind of my host family um, away from home. And so they picked me up and we became really good friends over the years at MIT and even beyond. We stayed in touch, um, you know, visit and, and so on and so forth. And when I was leaving film school and hunting for a documentary idea, I, I mentioned that to them. And so over brunch, they said, you know, why don't you make a film about that experience of kind of, you know, we watched you step out of the plane, come, you know, uh, arrive in Logan. We we drove you to MIT and you stepped out and you said something like my first step at MIT, you know, because you'd arrived at this dream place and we'd <laughs> we'd watch you. Uh, grow and kind of go through this incredible journey um, since then and maybe there's something in there that could be a film and that instantly resonated with me Um, and so I thought about it and wrote a proposal that was basically about looking at that international student's experience but from the perspective specifically of Africans coming directly from the, the African continent
0: And did you know specifically that you wanted to get multiple perspectives on this experience as opposed to say one other student's uh, journey
1: uh, from uh, life in Africa to attending MIT? Yes, I I definitely knew I wanted multiple participants. Um, in In the very first draft of the proposal, I wanted to shoot it in one year and have participants from different stages of college. So you know, some first year students and some seniors, some people in the middle follow them for a year and then edit it and and be done. But then as I thought about the questions that I was really interested in exploring, I realized that the only the, the more powerful way to do it would be to really see how the same people, um, interact with time. You know, I wanted to see how people, people's ideas of who they were, their place in the world, their relationship with home, their pre- relationship with the with America, how all of that would um, would evolve over mm-hmm. time. You know, because I was really interested in how that that slow thing that happens where you know, something shifts within you so that two, three years after being away from your home country, you go back and you're seeing it with new eyes and, 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 and you're feeling a little bit different, a little bit, you know, like you've drifted away a little bit, you still fit in, but there's something different, you know, I wanted to see how that process happened. Um, and the only way it seemed to do that would be, um, to kind of, you know, Basically, go through college with um, with participants. I didn't know how many um, I, I wanted, but it was definitely going to be uh, more than more than one. And how we did you deci- with,
0: how did you decide on these four
1: particular individuals? Mm, I would say we kind of found each other. So what happened was we started with eight. Or I started with eight. I reached out to the admissions office at MIT. Told them, you know, the project idea, and they thought it was great, but they couldn't give me uh, people's contact info, um, you know, for privacy concerns. But they could. They offered to send an introductory letter uh, on my behalf. So, you know, I I described, I created this letter. They sent it to people, and then there were twelve. Um, African students that had, had accepted MIT's admission offer. And so they got my letter of that 12 A people who reached out to me. And so we started communicating over email and, and phone. Um, and I arranged to film them when they first arrived, either at the airport or at MIT uh, back in 2011. Um, and then eventually, <clears throat> um, the eight kind of went down to four because i really wanted it to be a collaboration and mm-hmm. i wanted to make sure that the film project wasn't a distraction from anyone's academic work or anyone's um kind of adjusting to to a new environment and and system of doing things and so really i was looking out for people who had their own like reasons for being in the film or or being collaborators on the film and so sante fidelis Billy and Philip were the ones that stayed with it and kind of did the video diaries. And we're really comfortable with the level of intimacy that the project required because we kind of, you know, we meet their families. We travel home with each one of them at some point. And, you know, when we're traveling home with them, sometimes the families are hosting me in their homes and I'm living with them for two weeks. And, you know, so it's really a collaborative process. The families, the participants, myself, um, kind of holding each other through, this exploration of, of, uh, of the journey. So I know that your,
0: your production started in 2011, I believe. Yes. And and when did you wrap
1: up? (laughs) Not necessarily post-production, but when did you wrap up shooting? The last time I filmed with any of the participants was in 2018. Okay. Um, so about three years after they graduated college and then, but I still, you know, with film pickups. I filmed some stuff in 2019 mm-hmm. without the participants that I thought would make it into the film. And it was in some versions of cuts. And then actually the last time I shot anything that made it into the film was probably Thanksgiving last year because I, I needed, you know, once we kind of had the structure figured out, um, my editor and I, Kelly Creedon and I decided like we needed more establishing shots of MIT and Boston and things like that. So I had to quickly head to Boston over Thanksgiving and and shoot some more. So over, there, I, I think one of the really uh,
0: effective uh, aspects of the film is that passage of time. And when mm-hmm. you know we first meet the four participants and they're they're all freshmen, there there's this great scene early in the film. I. Th- think it's all four of them it's definitely three of them it might be four where they're just kind of exchanging initial experiences Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. being freshmen being freshmen at mit being freshmen at mit from africa and Mm -hmm. how they're perceived you know by other students and what i really liked about particularly that scene was there was there was a uh Aspects of it that were particular to them and exclusive to them, but also, if you think back to your own sort of freshman first couple of weeks, there was a universality to it uh-huh. in the sense that you know you even if you're super excited to be in your on your new college campus, there's still you know, there's an aspect of homesickness. There's that that rush of feelings around. Well, who am I now? What's expected of me, et cetera. But. One of the real, I think, strengths of your film, as you do stick with these individuals uh, for multiple years, is you see the growth. You see the sort of the maturation in the way they look at themselves, the, their role in the world, uh, and, and even the way they articulate their their feelings. Um, when you were planning throughout all of these six, seven years... How did you maintain the relationship with each of the students, and maintain sort of the uh, the heart of the film that that you wanted to con- that you wanted to uh, to make? That's a
1: good question. I <laughs> that's what I haven't been asked before, and so like I feel like I need to think a little bit. Um, I mean, I think the way I maintain the relationship is the way it's probably similar to how you maintain a friendship it's a little bit of a check-in you know occasionally you know we always talked about i i wanted to make sure that they were comfortable with what ended up making it into the film so there are lots of discussions about you know things that we filmed before things that we we're going to film and reiterating what i was chasing in the film or like why it wasn't done yet and why it might be good to like catch up. And sometimes the participants, you know, when you know, would update me about something that was happening in their lives because they thought, you know, it made sense to include or it might be relevant for the story that, um, that we we were chasing and we we're trying to tell through our lives. So, yeah, it's, you know, about, you know, you have, um, a lunch, a dinner here and there, mm-hmm. um, sometimes just to kind of, Check in and update, like what's going on with you. Here's what's going on with the film. I've applied for X, Y, and Z. Here's what we need. You know, we have a new editor coming on board, just that kind of thing. um Yeah, how far, I'd say that's how far... in were
0: you uh, before you made the realization that you wanted this to be, instead of a one year experience, a multi year experience? And how did. How did you go about sort of preparing for that in the sense that, you know, these kids have very busy lives and in at least three or the four instances, they were traveling back to their native countries in, in Africa. So there was a lot of logistics going on. So I w- I was a um, I'm wondering if you felt that you had to sort of thread that needle between, you know, keeping the the dynamic aspect of the film rolling but you know also not becoming a hindrance to, to the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. no, then so um I I the the idea to make it a multi-year project, uh that was that came very early. So before I started shooting, I had already redefined it as a multi-year longitudinal project. Mm-hmm. Um, it it only you know the original idea of just shooting for one year was very short-lived. I think maybe it lasted a month. A month, and before I even approached MIT or any of the participants, I had already revised it to to the the version of you know the the vision that the film ultimately becomes. Um, I think. In terms of how we balance intrusion versus, I I, I think, I suspect, you know, obviously, you know, it would be great there's a version of this interview that could be had with every one of the participants and i you know i'd, I'd love to hear that as well uh we've been lucky to have a couple of participants on the film festival tour at various um various stops and so that's been interesting to hear their perspectives as well but I, I suspect what it was was we were doing something exciting um we developed a friendship along the way Um, I think sometimes they were doing projects, like development projects within their countries. And I think having that documented may, may have been, um, exciting as well. It felt like, it felt like we were creating a film for us, by us, um, because this was a film that, you know, for many years, you know, as we're looking for funding, I felt like, You know, I had I absolutely had to do whatever it takes to make this film happen because it was an important story. There was something big in terms of the migration patterns that were happening that needed to be explored in cinema and yet hadn't, you know, the industry hadn't really tackled that in in the format that really touched on all the things that we're interested in. So I think once um I identify the partners and we had become collaborators. We were all committed to finishing this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, you know, you know, when we couldn't pay for a hotel, you know, and then somebody's family. It would divide us into their homes or um, find accommodation near, you know, there was, there was so much collaboration, so much community. We were doing it together because this was an African story that we wanted told since we were living it. And we had see, we knew its importance for the continent, but also for the world. And if nobody else was going to come on board, eventually we got great partners. But if nobody else was coming on board yet, we were going to put our all um, and I'll, I'll actually credit the USC um, MFA uh, Film Production Program for actually preparing me uh, technically to undertake this because, you know, I directed it, I produced it. Um, I had a producer partner, my co-producer, Brooke Turner, who I met at USC, you know, and so she was a great support throughout the project and a great collaborator throughout the project. But I, you know, I shot it, I did most of the sound, and and that's all stuff that I learned to do through the USC MFA program, right? Mm-hmm. And so when there wasn't funding to pay for all those crew positions, you know, I would buy a camcorder, buy the, the audio equipment, get a little bit of advice from different mentors or other classmates, and then go and get it done. Um, and, you know, the participants all got used to <laughs> used to, you know, putting their own mics on and, you know, checking for X, Y and Z and, and all of that stuff. So we really and, and I, I should say they all filmed uh, really um, moving video diaries that are an essential part of the film, right. uh, which anybody watching will notice. Um, so, yeah, we kind of just stepped up and, and made it happen.
0: How much of a difference, or how much of an impact do you think that the fact that you yourself had gone through a similar experience—you uh, know, being an international student coming to MIT, being an international student from, international student from Africa coming to MIT—how much do you think that played a role in winning over the 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 trust and the in con- the confidence um, of the four subjects?
1: I think that probably was important, um, because again, from the get-go, I knew I I wanted to make this an insider story. This was not a story of, um, this was not a project where somebody with a lot of access, a lot of, um, access to the industry was coming in and thought there was, you know, money to be made from, you know telling the story of Africans at a fancy, uh, university, this, this was really, um, kind of a down to earth. Like we're trying to figure out this experience. I don't have the answers, but I think if we film this over many years together here in the U S and then in your home countries, we can assemble something that really speaks to this, this, uh, very specific, but then again, universal, you know, like you were saying there are aspects to it that you relate that resonated with your own experience of kind of leaving home and going to college. So, yeah, I think that had, that had something that had, that had probably had a lot to do with it. And, and where were you uh,
0: in the making of the film when the decision to incorporate aspects of your own story uh, began to take shape? Hmm.
1: So that happened in the very end, I would say maybe the last year and a half of the edit. Um, It had been suggested and it's something I definitely considered. I think I'm not, you know, when when you look at film language, I'm open to all the tools in the box, but then you pick, my philosophy is like you pick the tools that, that make sense for ever given projects. Right. So, you know, I was always open to everything, but I couldn't see what benefit adding my own story, uh, would give, would, would serve the film. Right. And there were moments, there were always moments in the film where, you know, the participants wouldn't play quote unquote, nice documentary subjects, right? They would, you know, have a conversation or a debate with me across the, the lens, you know, I'm behind the camera, they're in front of it, or sometimes, you know, there's a scene in the film where Fidelis actually grabs the camera and and turns it around and starts filming me, um, but even when I'm not on screen because somebody's filming me, we're having sometimes we're having conversations that break the fourth wall, right. and I'm being pulled into it. So those moments, some of those discussions always stood out as they had like they had um, they had a soul to them. They had like a fire, an energy to them. Um, that was calling attention to itself, right? But I couldn't figure out how they belong. And so there were versions of the, the rough cut that had some of those moments in there, but very lightly. And it wasn't until in 2021 where um, the queer community in Ghana, my home country, um, came on that attack. Basically, there were lots of events that happened where the queer community, community were being persecuted um, and ultimately an anti-LGBTQ plus bill, a hate bill, got introduced into parliaments that's on the verge of, it's currently on the verge of being passed. It's really horrible. It, criminal, it criminalizes queer existence, queer allyship. Um, if you're a supporter of queer people, if you're family, you could get thrown in jail. Um, so anyway, when that happened in Ghana, when this bill got introduced, Um, That forced me to really confront the reasons why I feel estranged from Ghana, why when I get on the plane to go back to visit family and friends in Ghana, I feel uncomfortable, I get tense um, Mm -hmm. in a way. And it's something I hadn't really processed. um, And I realized it had to do with the fact that as a gay man, I feel a lot more free to be my full self in the US than back home in Ghana, because there's always been um, a climate of sort of, um, what's it called, you know, latent homophobia Mm -hmm. or queerphobia. But in 2021, uh, when the bill got introduced, that became really explicit, um, and it became really even more dangerous. And so I realized that I, my story of kind of becoming estranged and trying to find my way back to my country also belonged, um, in the film and and we embraced it and, and included me.
0: There's a sequence in the film where you are talking to Fidelis and, and something transpires where you, I think you sort of ask him, you know, did you, did, did you know, or did you realize that, you know, I was gay? And was, this a, was that literally the first time you and he had discussed that topic? It was, yes. It was. It was. It was yeah. and, and how risky did that feel for you?
1: Um, it did not feel risky. Um, you know, by that point, we already had a friendship. Um, I had a friendship with each one of the participants. And I had a version of that conversation with every one of the participants at different points. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something i never hid from them but at the same time i didn't like lead with hey sure. i'm a gay filmmaker <laughs> looking to make a film because it wasn't really um it wasn't really one of the parameters of the film you know i yeah. wanted to make a film about african international students um so you know eventually you know they learned in different ways and in that conversation um that's the moment where It just kind of came up organically because Fidelis was, um, you know, I think the topic was in the news because Obama had um, come out as supporting gay marriage versus just civil unions. Right. And so, you know, we, we we had a lot of conversations about things that were happening in the news or the, the big topics in the news and that happened to be one of them. And so he asked the question that was that, that made sense for me to just kind of open up and, 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 and tell him that, you know, actually this question you're asking affects me directly as well, because I'm gay. And, and um, so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't uncomfortable, but, um, I think it was, I I think my concern was more, would he, would he, how, how would he feel? Um, would he be comfortable receiving this news giving that, um, yeah, given that I was a filmmaker making a film about his life. So anyway. Uh, I, I thought he, one of his responses,
0: um, and I don't know how how much time had elapsed after you and he had this initial conversation about this, but w- his response when he comes back and he's having a, a, what I believe is a subsequent conversation with you, and he says uh, something to the effect of, well, f- first of all, I need to thank God uh and 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 really it was sort of i thought just a perfect testament to somebody who you know calls themselves a believer in god because the way i interpret it he came back and said he had to thank god because his belief his faith actually forced him to say i cannot disregard somebody or condemn somebody simply because of how they identify sexually that I need to uh love and accept the whole person and Mm. it it was a wonderful little twist i thought in the sense that you know he didn't come back and say well i'm sorry you're a sinner my god says you're a sinner it was actually the other way around my god his god was compelling him to look beyond labels
1: to look beyond the surface right right no i think that that's a that was a very beautiful moment because too often um, I think religion is co-opted in our societies around the world to persecute people, uh, including queer people. I mean, that's that's part of what's happening in Ghana. Um, and unfortunately, that is the lie, right, that that religion ultimately has a lot of love and God has a lot of love. Um, and he had that, you know, and then Fidelis in that moment had that wisdom to really, you um, to discern the difference between um, the religion that's that that people manipulate to create division and and hate versus the religion that um, calls us to sort of greater love and and more neighborliness for each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that was actually a really beautiful moment, and it made sense.
0: And the inclusion of of this element of the story into the film as a whole, uh, I thought was also so seamless too, because when you strip everything away, your film is really about identity. Personal identity, sort of national identity and, and how all of the parameters of identity are explored at that very kind of vulnerable time in our lives when we're between, you know, 18, 22, 24. And of course, sexual identity is going to be right there in that, in that mix. Um, so again, I'm wondering, was that by design or, or, you know, were you in the edit and you realized, Oh my God, look what we've got.
1: Mm. No, it was definitely by design. I think um, how I shot the film, the questions we were exploring, you know, I, I would ask them this um, kind of annoying kind of tough impossible question who are you multiple (laughs) times you know and so that was a central question I asked every year um at least once you know of all the participants so it was really designed it was the central thing that I was I was chasing you know the film was some you know if you look at it seems to be about a lot of things on the surface right I mean there's like queer rights, there's, you know, um uh feminist matters there's, there's black lives matter there's just so there's so much but but you nailed you you nailed the central thing exactly on its its head. What we're really chasing is how identity and that belief that you can make a difference right. um evolves, you know, from uh teenage being a teenager into adulthood, and all these other things, the world, your background, um all of that is, you know applies different pressures that test and refine that identity and that belief that you can be a change agent, you know? so it's really kind of all coherent, and it was it was there from from the design from the get-go.
0: It seemed that in, in the three instances where the, the students who did go back to their uh, countries of origin for uh, varying periods of time and for, and for different reasons, um, each of them felt and, and uh, articulated feeling a responsibility. To use the the opportunity that had been given them uh, to to better their country, which is an enormous <laughs> undertaking. You know, one individual, even if that individual is coming out of MIT, going back to a country and they're going to change their country for the better. Did that sense of responsibility through your experience feel prevalent among international students at? At, at MIT the ones that you came in contact with or do you think that was uh particular to the personalities and the uh the living conditions
1: of, of the uh the people in the film no it's a self selecting pool at MIT or in, in 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 college environments like MIT um and then you know like i said before i think MIT reinforces that um yep. it's in MIT's mission statements um uh, i forget the exact words but you know they do have a mission to kind of Hmm. make the world better you know um so yeah it's i think it's part of the selection process and you know asante is the one who throughout the film in multiple conversations would ask you know like was questioning what was wondering what it was that mit or the admissions folks saw in her in her right that 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 she, that she couldn't see from where she was standing at that point. She's always really curious about that. Um, and so hopefully the film allows, you know, offer some answers to that, but, um,
0: I think and it did seem like she had an extra layer of challenge being a woman because mm. there were traditional expectations of what a woman could be and should be coming from her, uh, the country that she is from. And it was just, you know, yet another layer
1: hmm hmm Yes, uh, both traditional expectations from back home, but then also I would say suspicions of what her capabilities were, um, both as a black person and as a woman mm-hmm. within an engineering institution in the US, you right. know. So yes, those are things we very subtly kind of tease and tease out in the film as well in her story well i don't want to drop any spoilers
0: but i will say that you you do follow the students post-grad we have a sense at least when you wrapped up production of what they were doing with their lives uh and so i encourage everybody for multiple reasons to watch this film to to um discover the journey for themselves but i'm curious what type of you mentioned a few of them have participated in festival screenings and q and a's uh w- what type of relationship have you been able to
1: maintain with them i'm I'm still in touch with um all of them, and you know i what i because they've given so much over so many years and they are in very different everybody's in very different places in their lives you know their lives go on some of them have families and young kids and you know projects and new careers, I try not to. I am a little bit protective of where they are and, and things like that. And whenever it makes sense for them to show up and, and speak for themselves and like tell the next, you know, what they're doing now. Um, I, I welcome that, but I try not to speak too much and, and kind of let them continue living their lives. But we're, we're all still in touch. Um, we communicate frequently some more than others. Um, but yeah, I'm in touch with all of them. Some of them, and their families as well.
0: What's your sense, and this is a very broad question considering, you know, these are four individuals with individual stories. But what is your sense of how those identities are taking shape uh, in comparison to when you very first met them back in 2011?
1: Well, you know, Philip was in person the the very first time I watched the film film with any one of the participants was with philip at the boston screening by the arlington international film festival so we did the q a with them and he talked about how you know he still feels very uh, attached to a very nigerian he feels very comfortable when he gets home he integrates right back in but um he's he's shared this he's um working on a startup um, that's launched in Nigeria and some, he's shared this, which is why I'm sharing it as well. He's got some other news coming up, uh, related to that soon. But, um, you know, he talked about how, even though he, he still feels very much at home in Nigeria, he also knows that he has not lived there um, in many years substantially. And so he relies heavily on people, local Nigerians who have lived, who, who, ha- who know Nigeria, um, as it's functioning, as it exists today. Um, he relies on them for, you know, like the startup, the work that he does, he's doing at his startup as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that the identity question is ongoing for everybody um yeah
0: <laughs> yeah ongoing for everybody i think it's a life project yes. it is it is for sure. <laughs> so here's a question sort of out of left field but with your particular disciplines with that brain of yours i'm curious as a as a filmmaker but also as a software engineer what's your take on the role that ai is going to be playing in filmmaking in the short term or perhaps in the longer term to find that as you will.
1: <laughs> you know, I've, I've been trying to like listen more. Um, um, I, I am no expert in AI. I took one artificial intelligence class um, at MIT, and actually, from what I remember, I was actually kind of sorely disappointed <laughs> hmm. by it. Um, it felt uh, you know, you know, the algorithms I came to understand were very not not particularly intelligent. You know, I, I feel like the science fiction, uh, at least at that time, the science fiction and the reality um were were quite separate, were quite mm-hmm. far apart. Um, I think so. Anyway, I can't really comment about AI's potential because I'm no expert in that um right now, but I guess. With any new technology, I feel like my belief has always been that the human factor, you know, like movies have worked for so many decades because it's a format of storytelling that really aligns with who we are as human machines, right? It really titillates our imaginations. It gives us deep satisfaction, um, you know, books also do that as well. And I I think, you know, like movies exist because humans distill feeling, memory, uh, emotion, ideas into into stories, right? That have that um that like spiritual dimension, right? Um so I, I do think, you know, just as I think humans and book oh sorry, movies and books will always exist and even as we invent new media um i also think human creation of these stories will always have a place that is irreplaceable um but of course with every new technology we have to kind of figure out how to put reasonable safeguards um, because those technologies do shape our societies um, and can have really drastic negative effects. Um, we've seen that with you know everything from social media to you know weapons that we've created and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So I think all the enhanced scrutiny. Um, that's happening in, in Hollywood, you know, with the strikes that just, um, recently ended, all of that is deep, is very warranted.
0: Most definitely. Uh, and what about for yourself in terms of next projects? Are you thinking that your next project is going to be another film or, uh, do you have some killer app that you've been developing on the side?
1: (laughs) No, I've been for a year now, I've been full, full on filmmaker. Um, so for the many years of production and post, excuse me, I was, working both um, at a software company as an engineer and then making the film, but a year ago I kind of put engineering on hold to try and kind of ramp up the um, film and writing and all that stuff. So anyway, I um, I will I think what I can say now is I'm writing. I'm kind of getting exploring those mm-hmm. original fiction interests and roots, but also open to documentary work as well. Well, we
0: have been talking with Arthur Musa, and he is the director of *Brief Tender Light*, which will be presented on PBS, the, P- the POV series, on January the fifteenth. There's also going to be a theatrical run in DC and New York. We will make sure that all of the details for the broadcast of the of the film and the theatrical run are included in all of our social media posts for this conversation. Arthur, thanks for your time and for this film.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Michael. This has been really great to speak with you.